So this spring, we are beginning a series um, on the book of James. Um, our desire um, is to spend some time, at least, in our Sunday school year um, studying closely the Word of God. And so this, this year, um, the portion of God's Word we're studying together is James's epistle. And if you don't have a Bible this morning, um, there is a stack of them in the back against the back wall, or if you have your device, that's fine. But really do encourage you to have God's Word with you as you come on, on Sunday school um, as we study it together. It's going to be easier that way. I, I don't think I'm going to be preparing um, PowerPoints um, for this, this series. Um, we, we just last week began to jump into the book of James and begin to think about some of its themes, um, some of the emphases of that book. Um, of course, I, I read it all, all of it in one, one um, fell swoop um, so that you could hear it all together. Um, and I wanted this morning to start by continuing that discussion a little bit and to do it in this way. Um, this sheet that you have in front of you, um, it's a really fascinating website I found last week, actually, where a, a, a man, a statistician, a, a guy that knows some stuff about programming, um, has gone through and created this website where you can basically create word clouds for every book of the Bible based on frequency of um, how the, often that word is used in the English translation. Um, he used the NIV translation, just basically ran it through all these spreadsheet sheets and stuff and pulled out the words, you know, common words, helping verbs, um, articles, you know, those kinds of things, and left us with the good stuff, um, the, the words that are distinctive for each book. So I, I created this word, word cloud using the program that he has on his website for the book of James, and I just thought it'd be interesting to look at it for a moment. So. So these are the most used words in the book of James. Um, they appear, this is about the top 60 or so words, and they all appear at least, uh, I believe, three or four times. And of course, the bigger the word, uh, the more prevalent it is um, in the book. Um, you can see brothers and man are most frequently used in James. I think they show up 17 times or so in a pretty short book. Um, this, of course, is not the only way to think about a book's emphases or themes, um, but it's one way um, to just look at how frequently a particular word is used. Yes, sir? Nothing's happening, yeah. You should work on that, buddy. You should work on that. You're the programmer. <laughs> All right, so just for a moment, and anything stand out to you about this? Anything that's interesting about the words that show up here? Any Any themes, any... Anything in particular? Yeah, Jeff. Does, yeah. That's right, that is interesting. Yeah, you're right, up in the, up in the sort of left quadrant there, upper left quadrant. Yeah, does is pretty large, that's interesting. Why would that be, you think? <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. So yeah, we see the word does a lot, and of course that's because James is one of the focuses of this book is on the way in which our faith displays itself in action and doing, um, has integrity in that way. It is not conflicted or double-minded. Our faith must reveal itself in the integrity of our life. What else? Anything else jump out at you that's interesting? Yes, ma'am. It's just, yeah, it's just meant to sort of set, set the words apart. The color is not significant otherwise. Good question. Did you ever hear a double listen? Does? <laughs> yeah, where's don't? I'm looking for it here. Oh, there it is. Yeah, that's large too, yeah. Yeah, does and don't. That's true. 
Yeah. Right. No, that's 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 fair. James has a a, a lot of imperatives, um, you know, relative to other epistles in the New Testament. Um, James is full of of certainly of imperatives of things that we should do or must do, and things you know don'ts don't things we must not do. And again, that fits with that theme of um, what does it look like for our faith to have integrity, um, for it to be mature. Um, for it to be genuine, and it reveals itself in our obedience to God's law. Did you have something, Jan? Uh, ben? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, anything else, Jeremy? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah a lot of contrasts. That's true. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting too, just how many concrete nouns show up on this list: rain, clothes, spring, body, life, water, face. There's just a lot of um, a lot of like words that we wouldn't. They're not really like theological words, so to speak, right? Um, this isn't, you know, it's different than Romans, for example, or one of Paul's letters. A lot of emphasis on just sort of common, everyday things that show up that James is going to talk about. What else? Anything else interesting? Deeds? Somebody say deeds. thought I heard that. Somebody say that? Yeah, Maya said that. Yes, yeah, deeds, absolutely, and fits with that whole theme. Absolutely, of the our faith showing itself forth in our deeds. The word tongue, right? It's pretty large. It's a substantial theme in the book of James. The word wisdom is there in the middle of the bottom quadrant. Faith. It's one of the largest ones, right? After brothers and man, I think faith and God are the two most frequent words um, used. And, of course, that is because James is... It's ironic, actually, because you know a lot of times James has this uh, reputation of being about works, but really James is about faith. It's about real faith, right? Um, and then faith is one actually one of the most frequent words used um, in this book. And James wants his readers to have faith, um, to have real faith in their lives. Yeah, Alexis. Yes, you're right. Yeah, there's there's a whole cluster of words. That are you know the same root word in Greek just as they are in English. Judge, judgment, judges, and judged. Yeah, so that that's another really frequent frequent word as well that's used. I think the the address brothers is interesting. What does that show us? Yeah, that he views them as Christians. And he also wants to emphasize their, their corporate nature, right? James, a lot of one of the big emphases in James is the, the communal aspect of their lives, that they relate to one another in the context, I mean, sorry, they relate to God um, in the context of community, the contents of, the, of, the, of the, the people that God has called out. Okay, well, just something to take home and look at if you have a few minutes. It's, I think it's kind of interesting. Um, if you're interested, email me and I'll send you a link to that website. I think it's pretty cool.
um, a pretty interesting resource. Okay, so let's, let's get started this morning with just a little bit of exposition of the book of James. Um, so James 1.1, 1, 1, that's where we're going to start. Let me just read this first verse and we'll get into some of the things that it presents for us. James starts in this way. James, a servant of God, or we might say a bond servant or even a slave of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, remember that word Christ is the same as Messiah. The Lord Jesus Messiah, we might say. To the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. What's going on in this first verse? Just very basically. What do we have here? Going broad, yeah. All the Jews, yep. He's, he's identifying himself, right? The author of the letter is identifying himself, and he's identifying his audience. I know this is pretty basic, but that's all right. Um, this is a format, of course, that most of the epistles in the New Testament follow in the first verse or two. Um, the identification of the writer and the audience to whom um, the, the writer is addressing. And so here the, the writer of the epistle identifies himself as James. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, one of the things that's interesting there, of course, in terms of the identity of Jesus is that he is called, um, he really has two titles. Remember that name Christ is not a, it's not a, not Jesus' last name, right? It's actually a title. So Jesus is both Lord and Messiah, according um, to James. Um, he sees himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's an there's a equivalence that's being created between those two titles or those two names, right? God and Jesus. There's a link that James is creating there. Um, says something even about the, his understanding of Jesus' relationship to God of even his divine nature. So we're seeing some things about that. But one of the things that's really interesting about this first line is just that name, James, right? Who is this James? That's the question that we have to think about um, when we come to this letter, uh, because it's not immediately obvious. And I will say that I don't think it makes, I think there are three candidates, basically, in the New Testament um, for who this James might be. And I don't think it makes a great deal of difference which one um, we you you conclude that it is. Um, we're not ever going to know for sure. Um, the, the, the epistle doesn't tell us. Um, but there are three basic candidates. One is, well, two of them are apostles, right? Um, there's James, the son of Zebedee, whose brother was John, right? What do we know about James, the son of Zebedee, brother of John, um, from uh, the Gospels? Anything that we know about him? The fisherman, yep, Jesus, one of the first Apostles that Jesus called, right, to come and leave his boats. Um, they had a nickname, right, James and John? Sons of Thunder, right? Yeah. They, what do they have that nickname for? Yes, good, exactly, same James, right. So in, in the Gospels, of course, you have the twelve, but then within the twelve you have the three. Um, and the three are Peter, John, and James. So you often in the scripture or in the gospels we'll hear of these three being set apart, right? What are some of the some of the important moments in the gospels that these three are present for that the other twelve are not? Transfiguration? 
Right, yeah, we heard it. Yeah, exactly. We just a couple weeks ago, Mark six, um, Jesus brought Peter, James, and John into the into the room where he raised the girl from the dead and left the other nine out. That's right. Um, Gethsemane, right? That's one of the other freak or prevalent ones. Um, Gethsemane, um, Jesus brings them along with him and leaves the other nine behind. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, that's the other thing. Oh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, James and John are the ones who sent their mama to go uh, <laughs> get the best seats in the kingdom for them, right? Um, so yeah, so James and John, you know, they 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 had their moments as well, um, and and yes, so that's that's James and John. So, but it's interesting there to see that James and John and Peter, that's that's sort of the inner circle, right? And of course, we are very confident um, from the rest of the New Testament that Peter and John were both authors of the New Testament, right? Peter wrote First and Second Peter. We believe also that his testimony is um, probably the largest source um, for Mark, um, the book that we're going through right now. This is, Mark is probably largely P- Peter's testimony of, of Jesus and his life and ministry and death and resurrection that uh, Mark then compiles and puts together and writes. Um, and then, of course, John writes after, after um, Paul and Luke, John is the most um, prevalent um, writer in the New Testament. Um, he writes the Gospel of John. He writes 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He writes also uh, the book of Revelation. Um, so, so, you know, there's some company there um, for, for, for James. There's another James, um, son of Alphaeus, who is a, a lesser known apostle. Um, we, we can't absolutely exclude him, but I think it's certainly less likely um, that he would be the writer of the epistle just because he's not prominent. Um, in any other way, except being listed as one of the apostles um, in those lists that you see in the Gospels. And then, of course, the third James is whom? The brother of Jesus, right? James, the brother of Jesus. He actually was also named um, recently in Mark 6, where we heard about um, the, the people were whispering about who, um, who Jesus was in Capernaum, or I'm sorry, in, in uh, Nazareth, when he went back to Nazareth. You know, who is, who is this um, Jesus, he's, he's the brother of, of Judas and James and Joseph and all these other people. Um, he's the son of Mary, all that. Um, we also see James showing up, of course, um, later in the New Testament. Um, we see him showing up in uh, the book of Acts in particular. Um, he has a, as a, by Acts 15, he has a significant role in the church um, where he is, is one of the main speakers and even the, appears one of the primary authors of the letter that is sent out by Jerusalem Council to deal with the issue of circumcision and whether or not um, non-Jewish converts to the Christian faith need to be circumcised. So by that time, at least, he has a prominent role in the church. Um, I should also have said about, um, he's also mentioned the book of Galatians. Paul talks about him there as one of the leaders of the church. Um, He's mentioned in several places. It appears that James, the brother of of Jesus, or half-brother of Jesus, there's not really any evidence that he was someone who who had faith during Jesus' life, uh, before his death, but rather probably after his death and resurrection became a convert um, to the Christian faith. Um, I should also should say about James, the son of Zebedee, that we know uh, when he died. And so that's one of the things to keep in mind as well about him as a potential writer of this letter. Um, he dies in Acts 12. He's actually um, one of the first, actually the first of the apostles to die, um, to give his life as a martyr. Um, he dies um, at the command of Herod, um, who has him beheaded in Acts 12. Just remember, that's when he, he beheads James and then he imprisons Peter. And then Peter gets sprung from prison 
in Acts 12 and goes on to you know, do missionary work and write letters and all those kinds of things. But James, the son of Zebedee, dies there. And that happens, scholars date that event around 44 AD. Um, so, uh, so, you know, early, but not super early, still about 15 years, almost 15 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, I really think these three candidates, especially the first and third that I named, should be considered um, for authorship for James. It's interesting, every um, conservative commentary that I read um, uh, lists these two and agrees that they're the two most prominent candidates. And then every single one that I've read says this, um, James, um, the brother of Zebedee, or son of Zebedee, brother of John, died in Acts 12, around 44 AD, and so he probably could not have been the author of this epistle uh, because um, it was too early. And I read that and I just think, well, that's not an argument, basically. <laughs> like, if, if you were in logic class, like, why? Like, like, there's no explanation for why it's too early, just he probably was not a candidate for um, writing this epistle, um, and which, which seems strange to me. You know, there, there's almost 15 years but after the death and resurrection of Jesus before his death. So why is that too early? Yes, sir. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's not. And that's, yeah, there's, there's no reference in the book itself that, that connects the, the book of James to a later date than 44 A.D., so I, I just want to put that out there that, that James, the son of Zebedee, is often dismissed or almost always dismissed when I read modern conservative Christian scholarship on this letter, but, but not really for any reason other than, I think, preference, basically. Preference to date the book a little bit later, um, maybe a little bit of discomfort with uh, an early date. Um, but we're, as we're going to look in a moment, I think that there's actually good reason to connect this book, this letter, to the early days after Pentecost, after um, what happens in the death of Stephen. And so it may actually, um, actually the early day of this letter might point more towards John, the son of Zebedee, or James, the son of Zebedee as its author than James, the brother of Jesus. Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah, so, so Jeremy's asking whether the title, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, does that, does that imply being one of the 12 uh, specifically, or is that a more general, can other people use that title, basically? We see it a lot with Paul, of course, and Paul, of course, believed himself to have been an apostle, to have been grafted into the 12, so to speak, um, after Jesus' death and resurrection. Um, so certainly we see pre precedence there. I don't know that it's a conclusive argument either way. I think it's possible that James, the brother of Jesus, could have used that title for himself, certainly. Yes, sir, Todd. Sure. Right, exactly. And so Todd, Todd is bringing out the reality that, that when we look at the book of Acts, definitely the beginning of the book of Acts, um, there is an emphasis on the, the preaching the gospel to the Jews, right? Um, going to Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, 
all these places that are that are initially connected to um, the 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 uh, people of God in Israel, um, and that address to the twelve tribes may reflect that this um, James understands himself to be writing in that context, and that and that may argue for uh, James the the son of Zebedee. Yes. Carrie has a question, then Eric. Yeah, it's okay. No, you're fine. He's the apostle. It's okay. You're fine. Yeah, James, brother of Jesus, comes after, is not really an apostle, but certainly a leader in the church, a prominent leader, especially the church in Jerusalem, of course. Um, and, it, there, you know, he, it's not to say he couldn't have addressed the 12 tribes. It's certainly possible. Yes, Eric. That's a great question, Eric. Um, yeah, let's talk about the, the, the use of this word, the 12 tribes and the dispersion. Okay, look real briefly at Acts, because this word, the word that is translated here, the dispersion, is used elsewhere in the New Testament, especially in Acts. Turn to Acts 8.1.4. Acts 8.1-4. So when James says that he is writing to the 12 tribes and the dispersion, one way of reading that, of course, is that um, he is writing to only ethnic Jews who are part of the dispersion. Uh, the, the diaspora, of course, was a term that was used in intertestamental um, uh, literature, um, Judea, Jude, um, um, Jewish literature, um, to refer to the scattering of Jews outside of Jerusalem. And, and so, but I, I don't think that James is primarily addressing those people. I think he's addressing Christians. Of course, we talked about how he uses that address, brothers, all throughout his epistle. And so, so why does he use this word dispersion? I think this is part of the reason. In Acts 7, what, what has just taken place in Acts 7? Stephen stoning. All right, this is a really interesting thing about the book of Acts when you read it. Um, um, the day of Pentecost comes in Acts 2, the Spirit falls, um, 3,000 people are baptized, the church begins to grow. Uh, the Jewish leaders are very nervous about this. They thought they had gotten rid of the Jesus problem, right, um, by crucifying him. Um, but now uh, pe the people keep talking about him. They're even saying that he was raised from the dead um, by God himself, by Yahweh, um, that Yahweh raised him from the dead. And, and so they're very upset about this. They start imprisoning um, the apostles. Peter and John, of course, are beaten and then thrown in prison um, and then freed. They're not quite sure what to do. You know, there's still the issue of the people and their loyalty to Jesus. They still have some, some good feelings about Jesus. They don't want to overplay their hand. Uh, and then so slowly, so this sort of building tension that comes to a head in Acts 7, when Stephen has the gall to publicly, publicly say that they are the ones who crucified Jesus and that this actually is evidence of their hatred of God, their rebellion against God, um, and that they must repent. And so sort of in a fit of rage, the Jewish leaders stone Stephen, right? It, there's not really a lot of evidence that Stephen's death was premeditated or it was just something that happened in the moment because they could not handle being confronted with this, this prophetic word that Stephen brings in Acts 7. And then in Acts 7, um, um, so Acts 7, um, uh, Stephen dies, and then uh, nothing happens. There's no divine judgment. There's no lightning from heaven. There's no angels that come and, and, you know, avenge Stephen's death. 
and so basically Stephen's death becomes sort of the the first domino, right? It just sort of the first um, scattering. Um, uh, the the Jewish leaders are like, okay, we can kill one of these men, and God's not going to do anything apparently. Maybe we're actually what we believe we're right, and now we can just do whatever we want. So it's the death of Stephen actually is the beginning of the great persecution in the book of Acts that is that is led and executed by not the Roman state, but by the Jewish church, right? The Jewish church and, and political state um, at this point sets itself against the Christian church at its very infancy and, and explicitly desires to put it to death, to kill it. That's what Saul is doing, right, when he converts. Um, he is a part of that process. Um, there arose on that day, Acts 8, 1, the day of Stephen's death, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. Remember, at this point, the church is primarily in Jerusalem. That's where the apostles are. That's where the day of Pentecost happened. Um, that's where the church is centered um, and living in community with one another, you know, word and sacrament, those kinds of things. A great persecution rose that day against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. That word scattered is the same root word in the Greek as what is translated in James 1 as dispersion. Does that make sense? So we might, to see that connection, we might say they were all dispersed, all the Christians in Jerusalem, so they wouldn't die, be martyred like Stephen, were scattered, were dispersed throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And then in verse 4, same word. Now those who were scattered or those who were dispersed did what? They went about preaching the word, right? It's almost as if God planned <laughs> for this to happen, right? Because what were, what were, what were uh, Jesus's, uh, what was his command to the apostles before his ascension to heaven, right? Go to Judea, right? To Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, right? right? That's where I'm sending you. And so far, they basically stayed in Jerusalem. Um, and and um, they are forced out. The Christians are forced out. They're scattered through this persecution. They go about and they preach the word. And then if you turn to Acts 11, you can see some of the effects of this. 11.19. Now, though the same word again is used. Now, those who were scattered or those who were dispersed, same Greek word, because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. And so here we see that they're being scattered even further than um, Judea and Samaria and that region. They're going as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. But they're centering those, these Christians who are scattered from Jerusalem, their evangelistic focus on whom? On Jews, right? They're doing what you see Paul doing a lot in his ministry, at least initially. They're going to the synagogues and they're saying, hey guys, good news. The Messiah has come. The Christ has come. Um, he has, was crucified, but he was raised from the dead by God. Put your faith in him. Be baptized. These kinds of things. So the, the word is going out through this dispersion that's happening. And I think um, just because of the uh, well, lots of reasons, but one just really basic one is the textual connection that it's most likely that this is whoever James is in terms of whether he's the apostle or he's the brother of Jesus, that this, these are the Christians whom he is writing to. 
he is writing to the 12 tribes, to the new Israel, not only to ethnic, ethnic Jews, although probably primarily Jewish audience at this time, um, the new Israel in the dispersion, those who have been scattered, um, those who were sent out by God um, through the persecution that took place in Jerusalem after the death of Stephen, those who went all about, and what they did was preach the word, and they, they set up Christian communities, right? Little, little churches, um, and wherever they went, um, the word went forth, and it had effect, and that's whom James is writing to here. Yes, Donna. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a great question. I do not know that if that word shows up elsewhere in the epistles. That's a good question. I could look at that. I will say the the capitalization of this, we do have to take though the grain of salt, knowing that that's something that the English translator has done for us. Do you know what I mean? Like in the original Greek, there's no there's no capitalization. There's actually even no punctuation. So you even have to be pretty careful about you know making exegetical points about the placements of commas and those kinds of things because none of that is is there in the original Greek. But I understand what you're saying. It it does it does seem to be addressed as a well, I mean. There's the, the article is there, so that's something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so it may have a proper sort of, yeah. I think that's a fair, but more because of the article, less because of the capitalization. Yeah, Mike. Oh, there you go, right. I thought I was thinking Peter for a moment, but I didn't want to go there. Yes, thanks for looking that up. So Peter, first Peter uses that language. Um, to the elect exiles, of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Yeah, and I think, I think it's likely that those are the same kinds of people that Peter is writing to, those who are scattered out from Jerusalem on the day of, after Stephen's death. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're fine, Tom. That's what I want. I want discussion. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of building up this, this final remnant of, so that eventually you see the whole thing kind of wrapped in that. Right. In terms of the timing of their letters. Absolutely. No, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. And I think we we ne- sometimes neglect the, uh, the, the, the reality of the continuing Jewishness of the Christian faith, especially in the that 40 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus um, to our detriment. We, we need to remember that the primary, uh, yes, Rome late in later centuries will become a substantial leader of persecution against the church. But generally, whatever you see persecution talked about in the epistles of the New Testament, it's talking about Jewish persecution. 
is talking about Jewish leaders and Jewish synagogues who see uh, Christianity as a kind of sect, a kind of heresy, that they are trying to wipe off the map because they understand that it is a, it is a direct threat to their existence. And so, yeah, I think that's right. And that 40-year that, that period is when the, the true remnant of, that, of, of Israel is being set apart. And, of course, um, the, the, the greater part of Israel is going to reject the good news, reject the Messiah, and ultimately be judged in the destruction of the temple. And Paul's wrestling with that. Even you see that in Romans 9 through 11, right? Um, that dynamic. Yeah, Jeremy and then come to you, Carrie. Yes, sir. And, that, and that's why Paul begins to preach to Gentiles, right? Because the, the Jews that he goes to reject him. Absolutely. Yeah, if you read the book of Acts, it's always the Jewish leaders who are stirring up the city against them. Um, they stir up the city of Ephesus against them. Um, they stir up the Roman leaders. They go to the Roman leaders and slander Paul and the others that go with him and accuse them of all sorts of things. The Romans in the book of Acts are just kind of, they're pawns, basically. right? They're being used by the Jewish leaders to do what they want. Um, they're not initiating. the. Sometimes they're actually protecting the apostles. They're certainly not initiating the persecution. The initiation is coming from the apostate portion of Israel um, that has rejected Jesus as Messiah. Yeah, Carrie. Good. Good. Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. So, no, yeah, that's that's perfect because the Pauline when we think about the way we structure the canon of the New Testament, right? We have the Pauline epistles. The Pauline epistles are written to particular churches, right? Rome, Corinth, Galatia, Ephesus, etc. Um, and then we have a section that's called the general epistles, and they're called general because they are addressed generally, right? So Hebrews doesn't have a particular um, church that it's being written to. Uh, First and Second Peter don't. Um, uh, you know the letters of John. These these are these are all more general letters that we would say. Um, and James falls right in that category where it's it's you know I mean all of Paul's letters of course had I think even in those first forty years they were passed around they they weren't just only for that city um, but this is written intentionally from the beginning as a more general letter. Yeah, yeah, I think it's going out to the. Sure, making copies by hand, yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes, Eric.
Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, a, that's one of the clear reasons, I think. So I think there are two big reasons to think of this letter as being written pretty early. Uh, one is that use of that word dispersion, which shows up so prominently multiple times in Acts. Acts 8, Acts 11. Uh, same Greek word. The other reason, I think, is that what, is, what, what topic, which is so frequently discussed in so many of Paul's letters, which we know were later, is absent, utterly absent, in the book of James? What is Paul always, almost always, at least, talking to churches about in terms of how they must relate to one another? What two groups of people is he trying to, to help them sort out? Jews and Gentiles, right? It's all over the place. It's in Romans, it's in Galatians, right? It's in Colossians. I mean, it's just all over the place. How are you going to relate to people? Does the, the Christians need to be circumcised? What is circumcision? Um, what's the role of the, of the Mosaic law, et cetera, et cetera? What, this, this topic is totally absent from the book of James, right? He doesn't mention any tension that might exist between Jews and Gentiles. It's almost as though it doesn't really exist at this point. And as far as timeline, the reason, if that's true, why it wouldn't exist is because the gospel right now is primarily being preached to ethnic Jews, to circumcised people. And so there's not this same kind of tension or conflict that would come up later in those 40 years um, as, as, as Gentiles began to increasingly become engrafted into the church. And you had all sorts of obvious questions about um, how, how, how do they live as Christians when they're not ethically Jewish. I don't know that we know a particular year. It does appear to be pretty, not too long, I would say. That's my, yeah, early, yeah, yeah. He was, yeah, in Acts 6, he's ordained. Um, set apart for ministry. He begins to practice that ministry. And just, just an interesting thing about him, um, uh, um, in Acts 6, you know, the, the two men who were ordained there, um, Stephen and Philip, um, what, what kinds of things are they doing in their ministry um, that they were ordained to? Though originally in Acts 6, it's talked about the need for the widows to be cared for. Yes, but then what are actually... Uh, they're preaching, right? Philip's baptizing. I'm just going to throw that out there for you to think about. I think it's interesting in terms of, I'm, I'm not convinced that Acts 6 is about um, the, what we now see as the modern office of deacon um, in the BCO, so to speak. I think it's actually the first ordination of ministers. Um, that's my sense, because they're, they're doing ministerial things almost immediately. They're preaching the gospel, they're baptizing, um, they're getting killed like Jesus, that kind of thing. Um, so, I'm sorry, so I had a, somebody asked me, I was, we're talking about the death, the date of Stephen. Yeah, I think pretty early. Stephen's probably pretty early. All right, that's, that's a lot to think about and take, so maybe just stuff to think about there in terms of date and authorship. Um, I think it does help for us to see this as, a, as an early epistle, regardless of who wrote it, um, because it gives us a context for the letter that, that James is writing to Christians who are new Christians, um, relatively, and they're trying to understand what it means to follow Jesus in the context of suffering and persecution. When the things that Jesus said don't seem to be coming true, right? Jesus predicted, prophesied the destruction of the temple. At this time, the temple's not, being, not been destroyed. Um, Jesus prophesied that those who trusted in him would, would, would be victorious. Right now, they don't seem to be experiencing victory. They're literally being killed and put to death. 
Uh, they had to leave their homes and their jobs and their families in Jerusalem and go out to wherever they went to, to save their lives. Um, and how, how do you follow Jesus in the context of that situation? What does it mean to have real faith um, in the context of that, uh, that place? So I, th- I think it, whatever you think about who wrote James, I think, I think there's a lot of reason to think that that's the basic context. Those are the kinds of people to whom James is writing. Those are the kinds of things that they're experiencing. Let me let me grab you after the after Sunday school, unless is it real quick. Yeah, it might be, yeah, or it might be around that time. And remember, Paul for several years before he starts preaching the gospel, um, basically goes back to seminary and learns and thinks about how all the Old Testament actually is fulfilled in Jesus, that kind of thing. All right, let's stand and pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for your kindness to us, um, for the way in which you um, give us good news. We're thankful for the book of James and pray you help us to continue to meditate on these things, on the, the mysteries of your word, the riches that are hidden there. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.